Luke 23, we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 43, so a big portion of scripture. And so our usual practice is to stand and read it all together. I'm just going to kind of, as we go through it, I'll read chunks and we'll continue to learn from God's word, tell the story and note the many people highlighted there, what God's trying to tell us. But before going on, if you just bow with me again as I seek the Lord in prayer. Oh God, it's a, a wonderful cross. It's with mixed emotions that we say such things. Lord, when we see our own sin that, uh, that held you there, our own brokenness, and yet in your mercy and grace, Lord, uh, that you went to the cross and paid for our sin. Now, Lord, as we open up your word, I pray you'd speak to us through it. I pray you'd open our ears and our hearts. Lord, and may we see with wonder what you accomplished there. In a, in a new way, Lord, give us fresh faith to know that you're the perfect Savior, the perfect sacrifice, and it's sufficient for each one of us. Teach us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just, just thinking about Scripture, before, as we go on to Luke, Scripture in a nutshell, if we break it down into kind of four acts, we've been in Genesis for the past couple of months, so the first act in Scripture is creation. Genesis 1 and 2, God made everything good. He, he made everything very good. He created all things. And when you walk away, like, yes, everything is, is wonderful. That's, so that's the first act of Scripture, creation. But then just a couple chapters in, Genesis chapter 3, sin enters in. Adam and Eve take a fruit they weren't supposed to. They, they disobey against the holy and righteous God, and therefore they, they're kicked out of the garden. Sin separates us from the Lord. So you have creation. It's good. Then you have sin, the fall. And there in every single person born after them was born into sin, born with a sinful nature, broken. And we know this to be true in and, in and out of our hearts. But then the third act, really God's in the Old Testament, he's calling a people to himself. He's preserving a people to bring about the Messiah, Jesus. We get into the gospel accounts. We celebrate this at Christmas Jesus born from a virgin. But all going towards that third act, if you will, restoration. Fallen humanity. And the fourth, which we won't get to, the consummation of all things. God making all things right. But that's what we're thinking about today. We're looking at, we, still have, we have this brokenness that's leading from the fall to the cross where restoration is had. So we just want to have that big picture in our minds as we're looking at it. As we, if you look at, with me at Luke 23, we'll be looking at verses 13, just to tell you what came before. Jesus had been betrayed by Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was taken before the religious council, and they accused him and tried to say, hey, you're, you're guilty. And so we're taking a step back. When we're talking about Jesus, again, we're talking about the one born of a virgin. 
We're talking about the one who walked on water, the one who, who made uh, with five loaves and two fish, fed over 5,000 people, the one who healed the sick, the one who cast out demons, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus, the Holy One of God, the Messiah. That, this is the one who we're talking about, that he was betrayed by one of his disciples. Then he was brought before the religious authorities and they tried to condemn and they had nothing on him. Then they brought him before Pilate. Pilate couldn't find anything on him, so they brought him before Herod. Herod couldn't find anything on him. And now he's being brought back to Pilate. That's his, this is where we're picking up the story. Looking at verses 13 and 16, I simply want you to see one thing. Maybe you'll see others that he's not guilty. Luke 23, verse 13, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I do not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I'll therefore punish and release him. He's not guilty. He's the, the innocent one. He's been cross-examined two times, three times if we include, include the Sanhedrin. Three groups of people trying to find any guilt. They have absolutely nothing. But greater than that, we know just not guilty in what they're accusing him. We know scripture says in 1 Peter 3.1, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He's completely sinless. So Jesus, clearly not guilty. It's going to be highlighted as we read on. Looking at the next number of verses, verses 18 to 25, I want you to see that the, the guilty one is released and the innocent one condemned. Even before reading this section, we don't have this in Luke, but in, in, in Matthew and Mark's gospel, it says this, Matthew 27, 15, now the, at the feast... The governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. This is something they did in Jerusalem every uh, year at the Passover. You think, like, this is not justice at all. This is pandering to the people. Just a way to please people. Like, hey, which guilty criminal do you want released just so you're happy? This is a tradition that they had, right? This is what we're, we have. Luke doesn't talk about this tradition. He just goes into this is what they're doing. In verse 18... But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and released to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city, and for murder. Well, so what do we learn about Barabbas here? He is a murderer, an insurrectionist, which means like a terrorist. A murderer and a terrorist. They're like, hey, let this guy go free. I think we could, we could all agree, what do we learn about him? This guy is guilty as charged, right? Barabbas, he's guilty. Release us the murderer, the terrorist, the insurrectionist. In verse 20, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. Pilate got it. He's like, this is an innocent man. He's doing what he could. But they kept shouting, verse 21, crucify Crucify him. A third time, he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. 
I'll therefore punish and release him. Three times, Pilate's trying to, he knows this man is innocent. But Pilate also had his political career to think of. He was a man under authority in the Roman government, and, and he couldn't have a riot starting. But he knows, so three times it's highlighted here in Luke's gospel, is an innocent man. But I want you to see, as, as we read on, the crowd kind of has their way, right? And I want you to see kind of one major thing, human responsibility in the midst of God's sovereignty. So Pilate wants to release them, but verse, release him, but verse 23, but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Again, I want you to see the human responsibility. Pilate's like, hey, he's innocent. Let's just, let, he should go free. They're like, no, crucify him. And other, other gospels, the, the people yell from the crowd like, yeah, yeah, kill him. His blood will be on us. We see human responsibility in the midst of God's sovereignty. I just want to bring your attention to a few verses in Acts. I'll just read it to you. Acts 2.23 Peter says this, and he's preaching on Pentecost. This Jesus delivered up according to the divine plan and foreknowledge of God. God had a plan even before the creation of the world of how he would redeem sinners. He says this, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So people, the people in the crowd, yeah, crucify him. The Sanhedrin, Jew, they're all held accountable for bringing Jesus to the cross, yet at the same time, God's plan was to bring Jesus to the cross. We have human responsibility in the midst of God's sovereignty. But again, we see there in verse 25, what Pilate did, he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. The guilty one released, the innocent one kept. Again, if we want to talk about injustice, here it is. The one who has never done anything wrong, the one who lived a perfect righteous life, condemned. And then in comparison, Barabbas, who clearly was guilty, released. And it says there in Luke's gospel, he delivered Jesus over to their will. And he doesn't have there in Luke's gospel, but following this, first he had Jesus scourged. He had him whipped in the back. And I won't go into the details of it for the young kids among us, but the whips had bones and metal in it. that they whipped the back of Jesus over and over again until they said it's enough. And then not in Luke's gospel, I'll just bring your attention to Mark's gospel following this. 
Mark 15, 16 to 20. We have this, a humiliation, continuing humiliation of Jesus. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put, on clothes, put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. So all that is happening when Pilate says, hey, release him to do your will. He's whipped in the back. He's, he's mocked. He's beaten. He put on the crown of thorns. Now continuing on, looking to the cross, verses 26 to 31, moving to the cross. Verse 26, says, as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, a country in North Africa, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. So think about this. Jesus, he was, everyone being crucified was to carry their own cross to the place of crucifixion, Jesus was so badly beaten, he, he only carried it so far, he collapsed, he couldn't keep doing it. It's like the Roman soldiers, anyone passing, like, hey, you, now you have a job to do. This is what happened to Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country. Now it's his job to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was pressed into service. Apparently this man, Simon of Cyrene, ends up coming to faith in Jesus. I don't know if he went all the way, watched the crucifixion, believed then, or wrestled through that at some point later on. In Mark's gospel, when it's mentioned Simon of Cyrene, he says he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. And in, in the book of Romans, Paul talks about a Rufus there. And when he says the guy's name's Rufus, in Romans 16, 13, he says, Rufus, chosen of the Lord. Just like Simon of Cyrene, he's just coming in to Jerusalem for the Passover. And he, hey, you carry the cross of Jesus, significantly changed his life. He found saving faith in Jesus Christ. We see it in scriptures and church tradition, this man, Simon of Cyrene. So he's carrying Jesus' cross behind him. In verse 27, And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of the women who were mourning and lamenting for him. There was this mixed group of people, some people who just wanted to go see a show. They wanted to see the execution. They're coming behind. Then he had all these women who were with Jesus throughout his ministry. Luke's gospel highlights that, the number of women who were with him. Think about how confused his followers would have been. Unable to really compute what was happening. This is on Friday. On Sunday, Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. People waving palm branches, confessing, Hosanna, this is the king. On the Sunday, now on the Friday, he's led out to be crucified. How are they computing? How are they thinking through this? And on the way, we have this coming from Jesus' mouth, but turning to them, verse 28. Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. 
Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? What does this mean? I think Jesus is clearly talking. He's warning about the destruction of Jerusalem that's coming in 70 AD. After the capture of Jerusalem at that time, there were so many Jews crucified that they ran out of lumber. That, that's how bad it was when the Romans took Jerusalem. In verse 31, Jesus said, For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Like, this is what the Romans did to Jesus. What do you think they'll do when he's gone? Commentator Leon Morris puts it this way. If the innocent Jesus suffered this way, what will be the, filth, the fate of the guilty Jews? If the Romans treat this one, whom they admit to be innocent, what will they do to the guilty? So this strong warning coming to Jesus... Continuing on in the story, verses 32 to 43, our attention is drawn to the cross. Verse 32 to 33, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place, it's called the skull. That's in Greek and in Aramaic, Golgotha. There they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. He was crucified, the Son of God. The one who made all things and holds all things together. John 1.3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. Think about it. He made the mountains. He made the sun, the moon, and the stars. And he was nailed to a Roman cross. The death of a criminal, yet it was God's plan. There's power in his sacrifice. That is why he came. Matthew 121, his name will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In John's gospel, John the Baptist, in John 129, John sees Jesus. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. He was born to die on the cross. We don't have to get into the specifics of the cross, but it was a, it was a form of execution, right? The Romans would use it to anyone who, who were enemies of the Rome. They would be crucified and kind of put on full display. This is what happens if you fight against Rome. It was a way that people could suffer the longest period of time, nailed through their wrists and their feet. Jesus was crucified. And look at this, though, verse 34, like while he's on the cross or while he's actually being put on the cross, verse 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Like, how shocking is this? Forgiving those who don't deserve it? What is that pointing towards? It's pointing towards grace. Undeserved favor. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Jesus they're fulfilling Psalm 22, verse 18, written by David 700 years previous. 
Even Jesus in other gospel accounts as he's suffering on the cross where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's actually quoting the first verse of Psalm 22. You can take time later on today, read Psalm 22, see how Jesus fulfilled that. See how everything happening around was fulfilling Psalm 22. So we continue to read. I want you to note, note the mockers. Verse 35, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed, or other translations, they sneered at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. John's gospel gives us a little more info here. John 19, verses 19 to 20. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. Like the major languages that people would have in reading it above his head. Think about this. Think about how shocking this is. Jesus, the king of the Jews, because it's true. He was the king of the Jews, yet he's nailed to a Roman cross. So he's mocked by the, the religious rulers, the soldiers, and now, in verse 39, even from a criminal. Actually, the other gospels have both criminals in mocking Jesus. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged, there, hanged railed at him, yelled at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But Luke's gospel has here the other criminal changing his tune. The other ones don't. Verse 40, but the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He's a, he, this conversation happened as they're nailed to the cross. He's like, hey, we're, we're supposed to be here. We're guilty. Don't you fear God? And look at this in verse 42. Imagine how he says this, this criminal, I think out of desperation, out of a plea. He knows his, his minutes are numbered. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Maybe he whispered it. Maybe he didn't have much life left in him. But he cries out, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I want you to see this. He believed. He believed in Jesus. He believed he was a king. He believed he could be forgiven. MacArthur says this, he expressed belief that Jesus is the Savior since he would not have asked for entrance to the kingdom unless he believed Jesus was willing and able to provide it. His was the plea of a broken, penitent, unworthy sinner for grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And what is Jesus' response? 43, and he said to him, truly, 
which makes it this emphatic, just this, mark these words, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise, a word that refers to the, the place of the righteous. You catch your salvation for the criminal. Now, what does the criminal do? He's hanging on a cross, he's guilty. He believes in Jesus. Friends, we, if we can say we do nothing, all we bring is our guilt and our sin. Like the criminal, guilty, and he believed. And he was forgiven. What must you do to be saved? Believe in Jesus, surrender to the king. That is it. This picture also shows us what's happening on the cross, that salvation is coming, that the guilty ones, the criminals guilty, and rightly so. Jesus says, but no, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He can be forgiven because of what Jesus is doing on the cross. Friends, that should also encourage us if we have loved ones who don't know the Lord, and we're praying for them. You pray for them until the, the day they die. We're we hear of people on their, on their deathbed confessing Jesus is Lord. We have the encouragement here, the criminal on the cross who cried out. And friends, also we have here this reminder that life doesn't end when you die. You say, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. It's not where the other criminal went. He went to a place of destruction in waiting for that great white throne judgment where hell for eternity would await him. Friends, what was being accomplished on this cross? Let's continue to read. I want you to see the power in his sacrifice. Verses 44 to 49. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. Why darkness? Darkness was, was showing that judgment was happening. There was judgment upon who? Judgment upon Jesus. But, but he's the innocent one. He's the righteous one. Why is judgment coming on him? Because on the cross, he was taking our sins. More than our sins, the punishment from God that we deserved. He called the wrath of God was poured out upon him. As a son hung on the cross, was being punished for our sins, the sun in the sky no longer shone. Punishment that was for us and for our sins. Again, remember in, in Genesis 3, what happened as, as people took of the fruit Adam and Eve, they got kicked out of God's presence. They couldn't be in God's presence anymore. And then the way was guarded by cherubims and a flaming sword. And then from that, we have everyone after born into sin, a curse on humanity. Well, at, at the cross, that curse that we all walk in is dealt with. That separation of humans and God because of sin, a way is made at the cross. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Galatians, verses 3 to 14, 13 to 14, 
He wrote this, Christ redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus took the curse upon himself. Jesus, the righteous one, died on the cross for our sins, taking our punishment. The way to be made right with God is made. How do we know his sacrifice was accepted? Continue on there in verse 45. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Again, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, there was cherubim, angels, guarding the way in this flaming sword. And then when God saved a people for himself out of Egypt and they made a temple to worship in, or a tabernacle, and then the temple, how it was set up that priests could go and offer incense before the Lord. There's this room called the Holy Room. And in it, they had bread that they had before the Lord, and they had a lights that were on, candles. And the priests could go in, but they, there was a, a curtain in the way. And on the other side of the curtain was the Holy of Holies, where God's very present dwelled. And only one high priest could go there once a year. And in the place where God's presence dwelled, there was, a, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And what's on the Ark of the Covenant? Two cherubim. So as they're kicked out of the garden, what guards the way to coming back? Two cherubim and flaming swords. What guards the way of God's very presence? Two cherubim. And what happens is Jesus dies on the cross. This great huge curtain that separates us from God's very holy presence is torn in two. And through Jesus Christ, we can enter in. The way has been made back. That we, forgiven, made new, can enter into God's presence. The relationship has been restored. The access to God was opened again through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Verse 46, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. Certainly this man was innocent. In Mark's gospel, it's recorded the centurion said, Truly this man was a son of God. Like an act of faith. That the one who is watching how he died, what just happened. In Mark's gospel, he has Truly, this man was the son of God. So even this other bystander who's watching seemingly comes to faith in Jesus. Friends, why is it called Good Friday? A day when darkness reigned. But it's when the holy, righteous one died for you and me. Think of Barabbas being released. We can all say, that's, that's not right. He's a murderer. It's not fair. But friends, that is what happened to us by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The innocent one took the punishment we deserved. And the guilty, me and you, putting our faith in him, we're forgiven. We're like Barabbas. 
I want you to see there's power in his sacrifice to forgive sinners. Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows his love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Think of, think of what, again, what the criminal says on the cross in verse 41 to the other criminal. He said, we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. Like we're hung here on a cross. We're totally guilty. We're receiving what we deserve. But friends, in Jesus Christ, we get the opposite. We deserve punishment for our sins. Jesus takes it. We receive forgiveness. We do not get what we deserve. We get forgiveness. As we read through this passage, there's so many different people. I just want you to think about this for a moment. Think about all those who are mocking Jesus. Think about that there's, there was Pilate, there was Herod, there were the re religious authorities, there's soldiers, there's the other thief on the cross mocking Jesus. And then you think, though, as the story unfolds, there's people who put their faith in Jesus along the way. There's Simon of Cyrene. There's the other criminal nailed to the cross. And if, if, if what well, we'd understand in Mark's gospel, then there's even the centurion who confesses, surely this was the Son of God. So they're all seeing the same event. There's some who are mocking and some who are believing. Friends, I want to ask you, which do you stand with, the mockers or the believers? I don't know about you, but I used to be among this group, amongst the mockers. I would mock Christianity. I would only say the name Jesus in a curse. It, it's, it's in God's mercy. I'm standing up here today telling you about how good Jesus is. I was among the mockers. But one day, I surrendered. I bowed my knee to the name of the king. And I became among the believers. And that's what's available for anyone today, the days to come. You can go from one moment being a mocker, from one moment the thief nailed to the cross, confessing, hey, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, so ask yourself, are you among the mockers? All you need to do is confess Jesus is Lord, saying, yes, he is king. I'm following him. You could be among the believers. I would encourage you to do that. If you're hearing of God is drawn on your heart, confess Jesus is Lord. Believe in him. Because friends, if you look back at verse 34, what Jesus said as he was nailed to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is, this is true for us in Christ. We're forgiven. Sinners made right with God by the perfect one, giving his life as a sacrifice, we're forgiven. Our relationship to God is restored. That's why it's called Good Friday. If you'll bow with me, I'd like to finish with a prayer. It's a prayer I'm going to read of this book called The Valley of Vision. Puritan prayers. You can still listen, and if you agree, say, you can agree with an amen at the end. It's called the precious blood. Blessed Lord Jesus, before your cross I kneel and see the heinousness of my sin, my iniquity that caused you to be made a curse, the evil that excites the severity of divine wrath. 
Show me the hugeness of my guilt by the crown of thorns, the pierced hands and feet, the bruised body, the dying cries. Your blood is the blood of incarnate God. It's worth infinite, its value beyond all thought. Infinite must be the evil and guilt that demands such a price. Sin is my malady, my monster, my foe, my viper. Born in my birth, alive in my life, strong in my character, dominating my faculties, following me as a shadow, intermingling with my every thought, my chain that holds me captive in the empire of my soul. Sinner that I am, why should the sun give me light, the air supply breath, the earth bear my tread, its fruits nourish me, its creatures subserve my ends, yet your compassions yearn over me. Your heart hastens to my rescue. Your love endured my curse. Your mercy bore my deserved stripes. Let me walk humbly in the lowest depths of humiliation, bathed in your blood, tender of conscience, triumphing gloriously as an heir of salvation. Amen, O oh Lord. Amen.